Galactic Crack, Arma Observatory and Planetarium's stellar podcast. My name is Heather and as always I'm joined by my colleague Courtney and you may not have heard from us in a little while because we were kind of busy in August weren't we Courts? We were indeed so we're running our summer program here at the Planetarium and if you were here you know it was class but equally you'll know it was busy. Um, so Heather and I have been pretty much flat out with this so that's why this month's um, episode, August, didn't really have a real episode. We had a wee bit of crack, but not a full length one. We're treating you today with this one, though. This will be a bumper episode. Oh, and it is totally worth it as well. I mean, I can't wait to introduce you to the episode. But first, I do want to ask Courtney, how was your summer all in all? Uh, busy, busy. The Planetarium is a wonderful place to work. Um, I mean, can't say enough how good the education team here is at the planetarium and Heather and I are just part of a larger team and everyone's so good and they make work um so fun and it was just such an enjoyable summer um so busy it was lovely to have the public back Heather what do you think yeah I couldn't agree with you more I mean um we had in the months of July and August altogether, we we welcomed back 13,000 visitors and that's with restricted numbers in our theatre. Like We couldn't get over just the amount of people that wanted to visit us. Everyone was so happy to come. And as Courtney said, we have a wonderful team here in the planetarium that, you know, helps run everything. We don't just do the science talks in the dome. We were running the cafe. We're running reception. We were jacks of all trades masters of all in my opinion as well so having a, such a good team around us really made my summer just fantastic because every day smiling and happy and just ready to go and like if you were having a bit of an off day there was always someone there that would pick you up you know so like I have to give big props to our team they made the summer but now we're gonna go on to this episode as Courtney's already alluded to it, it is a bumper episode, but it is so, oh, it is so great. Um, so we are going to be talking to Professor Simon Jeffrey. Courtney, would you like to tell us a bit more? Yes, so um, Professor Simon Jeffrey has been with Arma Observatory for a whopping 25 years. Yeah, he's vintage. Uh, <laughs> he's, I like it. He's vintage. Um, he has a very interesting area of research he studies I'd like to say like the misfits of the star universe the ones I who, see yeah what you did there <laughs> have quite placed them the really weird ones mm-hmm. he's super into um and there's a subset of those ones would you believe Heather called heavy metal stars yes rock and roll sorry probably not that type but heavy metal stars how could we not talk about that for it, just so everyone knows at home, uh, every time Heather and I say happy metal stars, we do the little rock on signs. Um, you're missing out on that element over audio, but just yeah. rest assured we are in fact taking advantage of the opportunity. So without further ado, uh, we had to pre-record with Simon as he's a very, very 
a very busy man, as you can understand. Um, so I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back once again to season two. We'll have lots more coming up um, in the next few months. We'll keep you updated. Don't forget, we do have our podcast email, which is podcast at arma.ac.uk. Email us any questions you have, particularly about this episode afterwards. And don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Excellent. And with that, we're going to get into the episode. Hope you enjoy. Okay, listeners, we're now joined by Simon Jeffrey. We're lucky enough to have him join us on the podcast today. Hi, Simon. Welcome to Intergalactic Crack. Heather and I are very happy to have you here. Hi, it's great to be here. Yes, so we're fortunate enough to have Simon with us. He's going to talk about the research areas that he's involved in. And we have lined up quite the list of questions uh, for him, haven't we, Heather? Oh, yeah. I mean, Courtney and I, we sat and... We put our heads together, had a bit of a think about what do we actually want to know about Simon's particular research. And I, th- I think we've come up with some good questions for you, Simon. I hope you're hope you're ready for this bit of a grilling that we're going to give you. Oh, I'm not sure about that. I, I, I think you'll be taxing me far beyond my capabilities. Okay, it'll be grand. Um, I hope you don't mind. Um, but I could I jump into the first question because there's a little bit of a, a backstory to this question. Is that OK? Yeah, 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 go ahead. So um, in previous episodes, when we've been talking about our researchers and things that we've always wondered, you know, were any of you at the 2006 IAU conference where Pluto was demoted to a dwarf planet? Um, And so I think we're trying to make it our mission now to maybe talk talk to all of you and see were you there? What was your vote? So my first question for you, Simon, is did you vote for the demotion of Pluto? If not, why not? Or can we know how you voted? Were you there? What was going on with you in 2006? Oh, gosh, that goes a long, long way back. No, I I, I, I wasn't there at the 2006 IAU meeting. I don't know whether at that point we had um, email voting or, or, or so-and-so. So I, I, I don't know whether I, I voted or not. Um, but I would have, I would, if, if, if I did vote and if I had the vote now, I would still vote to, to reclassify. I don't think, you can't call it demote because it wasn't a demotion. The, the idea of a dwarf planet didn't exist before this whole debate came up as far as I can see. And um, for astronomers, I mean, for me, uh, looking at stars, classification is a really, really important thing. And if you classify something, it tells you information about, about, about the object. And, and with Pluto, what was happening was that we were discovering, or others were astro- discovering lots of other Plutos. And so you've got a choice. You've either, if, if Pluto's a planet and all these other Plutos are also planets, then our planetary system is just getting bigger and bigger. And, and, and our school kids are going to have to not remember just nine. It would be, at the mo- last count, it was about 14 and maybe growing. And uh, so, or, or, or the other, on the other hand, you say, right, all this, this new group of things, they're, 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 they're a new class. Let's call them a new class. And... And, and be correct about it. And, and so dwarf planets is, is, is um, I think, a, a great compromise. And um, I think there's no shame in Pluto being a dwarf planet at all. And, and it really tells you 
a lot more about what Pluto is and the fact that there are others like it. So I had I had no problems with with Pluto becoming a dwarf planet um, and, and and the prototype of its class. So that's an honor in itself. That's that, a very diplomatic answer. <laughs> I know. I think that I know I've said this a few times before, but I think that might be the best answer to a question I've ever heard because that was so diplomatic and i completely understand your reasoning thank you so much for uh for for saying what you would have voted simon i really appreciate that <laughs> not at all yeah very hard to argue with that that's very sound logic i've got it's got me feeling a little less protective of pluto now um <laughs> i'm gonna ask the next question simon so i'd like to know okay so your area of research is stars and i'd like to know how did you become interested in that particular area of astronomy and why did you choose to come to the Arma Observatory because we're quite small we're on a small island just wondering why to why you came here oh right well it was, it was it was two questions in a sense why why how did I become interested in stars and and and, and how did I how did I come here and and in a sense they're, they're, they're two very different and, and uh, my interest in in stars I, I don't know I've just grown up with with a fascination for what happens inside stars, how they work, there are these 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 nuclear engines in, in the sky, and um, I've just always been grown up with that. And and at, at various points in my life, I pushed doors in certain directions and um, ended up following following a, a route into um, into astronomy and. You know the the opportunity to do a PhD in stellar evolution it was just like a dream come true you know that's yeah it just that was what I wanted to do and um and then just enjoyed you know, I just followed that logically through and um went from stellar evolution and stellar atmospheres and stellar pulsations just all the different things that go on in stars how do they work and what's 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 the mechanics of that um and so I was in St. Andrews and had been for some time. Um, in fact, I'd been, I'd done my PhD there. And apart from a year away, I'd been there for, I'd been a postdoc. I'd been for, for something like 14, 15 years. And I was looking for, for work elsewhere, or I was looking for a permanent job anywhere. And, and this is, this is, this is, the, this is a story that every young astronomer or many young astronomers faces. It's, it's really hard to make that transition from, from temporary work, um, three-year contracts onto something more solid. And, you know, every time you get a new, new grant, they say, this will be your last, this will be your last. So you, and um, so it was, it was, it was a difficult time. But I've been um, actually the connection with with Northland went back to the late eighties, and I'd been uh, working with Philip Dufton from Queen's University Belfast, and I was very interested in what they were doing and the sort of work they were doing. So I was quite keen to um, I, I tried to to join their group at one point, and um, that didn't didn't work out. And then a job came up in in Armagh and. Um, well, I, I, I did, did well, at it, yeah, well enough and, mm. um, what well, things worked out, got an offer and of course, yeah. yeah. Um, so why, why, why it was still, it was still a hard decisions because I've got to uproot 
a sizable family from Scotland to bring them over here. So what 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 made what made it worthwhile? And and there were two 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 I think two two really important things. The first was was Mark Bailey, and uh, uh, as as director and as a new director, he was very encouraging and wanted to had a vision for a for for an expanding and um, strong research team in in Armagh, and uh, so that, I, I thought that was good. And the other was I, I just got got the letter and and and. And at the, at the head of the letter was was the the observatory seal, and it says the heavens declare the glory of God. And for some reason, I thought, gosh, that's 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 an organisation that I actually want to go and work for. That's 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 something that, um, whatever you understand by that expression, the fact that the heavens actually declare something, you know, the, the skies declare something that is worth worth shouting to the world about um, was, was, was really good. And uh, so I followed up on that and uh, well, I'm, I'm here now 25 years later so, and I'm not regretted it, not regretted it at all. Well, that's lovely. I mean, like, you know, you've not got sick of us yet. 25 years on, you've not got sick of us yet. Well, that, that's... Oh, well, you, you, you know, you youngsters, you come and go. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, maybe I should. Just... I hope you're not going. I hope you're not going anywhere soon. <laughs> no, no, definitely, you're not going to get rid of Courtney and I uh, anytime soon. Anyway, um, but um, just moving on from from that, you know, we understand that you know you're an avid sailor. Am I right in saying that? Uh, yes I, I enjoy my sailing um, and we're wondering um, have you ever taken advantage of the non-light polluted skies out on a on, on a cruise in your ship and um, done a bit of stargazing that way and to follow on from that how do you now feel you know light pollution will continue to impact on astronomy well yeah my, 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 my little boat is only three and a half meters long so it's not going that far away from the shore I'm afraid <laughs> um, and uh, yeah I've, I've, I've been out on some night sails on on other boats but again um, Scotland in the summer it doesn't get dark <laughs> so it's, very true and um, yeah so, so I haven't I haven't really seen the the night sky from from a clear ocean ocean viewpoint. Um, I have seen the night sky from really dark land sites, mountaintop sites, and I would imagine that that a mountaintop site is going to be much drier than a than a an ocean site, um, and. That, that view is fabulous and that's that's enough for me and I think I'll go back I'll go back to to Paranel or um, Sutherland and look at those those dark skies anytime those are those are fantastic yeah but um, yeah what's what's the impact of light pollution that was the second part of your question and uh, yeah it's going to be tough it's going to be it's getting harder and harder to find um, to, to keep our our dark sky sites dark and the you know, human expansion and activity just keeps on growing and you know 
over, over over the years, I was going to to Sutherland in South Africa, which is the where the, the South African Astronomical Observatory is. Um, we would see the lights of the the nearby town, which is some fifteen miles away. Um, you couldn't see them when I first went there in the nineteen eighties, but you just could start seeing some of these um, horizon sites beginning to to creep up. Um, but I think this is a problem that that's that's affects all of us. It's not just an astronomer's problem. Um, I think I think I think the impact on astronomy is 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 important, and I want my grandchildren to see the stars the way I did. But I think that as a as a species, as human beings, we we need to to make sure that our planet keeps working as a whole. And there's so many other species depend on it getting dark at night and getting light in the day and not dark at night. And the disruption to, to, the, to the, the feeding cycles, the breeding cycles, just activity cycles of so many species are affected by our day-night balance and and light pollution disrupts all of those, not just not just astronomers. That's uh, you know, I know we're a, we're a, we're a particular species. But, um, you said that, not me. <laughs> there's, 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 there's the... I I did I did. <laughs> um, yeah, we're a, we're a, we're a, we're a nocturnal species, <laughs> um, but there are there are much more important ones and numerous ones and bats and turtles and all sorts of flying insects. Um, and um, yeah, we owe it to them and, and to ourselves to take care of this place. Absolutely, I suppose it's in, I did ask, you know, the question was about like astronomy particularly, but it's in everyone's interest to try to keep like pollution to the absolute minimum that we can. Um, no, that's that's um, great, thank you. So I was, I'm gonna ask the next one here. So we understand, that as part of your interest in stars, you study exotic stars. So what is class as an exotic star by astronomy today? Uh, that's a great question. Um, and it's great because there's, 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 there's lots and lots of different types of exotic star. And um, I, I bet basically there's this, you know, astronomy can be, your study of stars can be divided into, if you, if you, if you, in a really simplistic way, into two Two categories. You can you can study the vast, vast collection of normal stars and see what does a normal star do and how how much can we learn from about normal stars by by looking at, at huge numbers of them and, and 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 learning about the common properties. But then you find you know you've got all these all these common. Well, you remember I said something about classification at the beginning. When you yeah. classify stuff, you 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 say, oh, I've got I've got ten boxes. I'm going to put all my stars into one of 10 boxes or oh, I need to make these boxes a bit smaller um, and divide them up. So I've got 100 boxes. So these are 100 boxes of normal stars. But you've always got some left over at the end. Uh-huh. And you can't figure out which box they should go in. And, and in a sense, those are the exotic stars. And it's when you try to understand what, those stars are why they're exotic what makes them tick um that 
you start to learn learn more so you you're, you're no longer looking at what's normal and, and understanding what's normal in detail you're understanding all the other things that are going on um and 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 actually the, the thing about exotics is that there's there's huge numbers of them all sorts of different types and um so you probably want yeah. to know well have, you, have i got some examples Naturally. you know what's what's yes. an example of, a, <laughs> of an exotic car yeah I thought you'd, you'd want to know that well I, the, the obvious one is actually the supernova and and that's exotic and why is why is it exotic because we keep on hearing about supernova all the time well yeah we do but that's because they're happening in galaxies far far away there hasn't been a supernova in our galaxy for 300 years oh right Okay. So, you know, that's, they are really, really rare. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're, we're waiting for the next one to happen any day, any day. But um, they only, I mean, the, the frequency is at most one, one per galaxy per 100 years or thereabouts. And so um, they're, 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 they're pretty rare. Um, and of course, they're, they're massive explosions and, 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 and even supernovae are all different. So you can classify your supernovae and then you have your exotic supernovae and so on. Um, okay. Um, another, another type of exotic star would be um, one, what, a star that varies in some extraordinary way. And, you know, by now we know that there are lots of, lots of double stars and mm -hmm. most of them are, you know, you can classify them. But every so often you find a double star that's that's unusual. It doesn't fit in any of your boxes of double stars. And uh, uh, it was now several years ago that uh, some were, were found. Or you've got a, a double star. Both of them are virtually white dwarfs, um, but they're 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 so close together that they're interacting, and they're they're going round one another every five minutes, and the whole the whole system would fit inside the diameter of Saturn. Oh, whoa. Okay. Right. That's so you've got a double star inside in that's smaller than Saturn. That's and and you know that's that's exotic. You know, that's and 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 when that happens, you've got all sorts of high energy physics going on. And so when you you make observations, explore that, that's um, tons of stuff to look at. Um and another 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 type of star would be one where if you look at look at it and see what it's made of you discover it's it's unusual and so my career has been spent looking at at stars that don't have any hydrogen on the surface now when we look at the sun we see 90% hydrogen when we look at virtually every other star in the galaxy we see 90% hydrogen and so when you find stars that have no hydrogen, mm -hmm. what's what's going on? That's that's not right. <laughs> right. Something doesn't compute here. <laughs> um, and, and 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 so you have to think of mechanisms that that actually you can that, that allow you to turn a star inside out. And uh, yeah, that and that stretches that stretches the mind um, and stretches stretches our understanding. Um, and then, of course, there are the heavy metal stars. And um... just uh, we are um, making the rock and roll symbols at Simon here, uh, just for all you listeners. This is uh, 
we like heavy metal stars. <laughs> <laughs> and um, maybe you want to talk about those later or, yes. or now? Or... Well, I think, so Courtney and I were, were talking about uh, heavy metal stars just just before coming on to talk to you today, Simon, just because we wanted to try and get an idea of what they were. But I think one of the things that we came to a conclusion was that it appears that heavy metal stars have been through some emotional trauma. I mean, when I think about how I was as a child, you know, a, a teenager, you know, um, a, a rock and roll chick who, you know, was very into our emotions, been through some emotional difficulties growing up. You know, I was a, a heavy metal girl. So that's what I thought when we were talking about heavy metal. So heavy metal stars, have they been through some trauma? Uh, possibly. Um, it's quite possible. Yes. I mean, we, we don't, I mean, the, the, the field at the moment is, is, is rather young and we only found the first one less than, less than 10 years ago, um, mm -hmm. thereabouts. And, um, actually understanding what's going on with them. It might be that there's no trauma at all and they're very quiet places and, and it's just a, a natural process that, that for, a, for a rare state, rare part in a star's life, it happens to, to make a star look like this. But there are some other things that, that, that go on. Um, we haven't explained what a heavy metal star is from my, yeah. from my point no, of view. I okay, think we should. So yeah okay so whilst we were looking at, at stars that didn't have any hydrogen or had less hydrogen than they should we found one star where we we looked at the the spectrum and i was going to demonstrate a spectrum but apparently i've got no pictures so a spectrum is is, is what happens when you split the light of a star or any, anything up into um, into its various colors and different different elements, different atoms like hydrogen or helium or other stuff like carbon, they, they can emit or absorb particular bands of light at particular energy. So, so when you look at a spectrum that has hydrogen lines in it, you can see the hydrogen. It's like, a, like a, it's like a barcode. The spectrum of a star can be read like a barcode and there's lots of lines along it. And, and, and some barcodes say hydrogen, some barcodes say helium, and some barcodes say other stuff. Anyway, we were looking at this, this star. Um, we'll call it S4, uh, short for something much longer. Um, its, it's barcode had some lines we, which didn't fit any of our models. We, they, they, weren't, they weren't there in our models. And we had, had a sort of a detective exercise to, to work out what they were. And long and the short of it was zirconium. Um, so particular form of zirconium, if you, uh, zirconium, all, all atoms consist of a nucleus with electrons around it. And once you make stuff very hot, some of the electrons are stripped off. And this is, this is a form where three of the electrons are, are stripped off because it's a very hot star. Um, and no one had ever seen these lines in these in, in a star spectrum before. Um, they'd seen them in the ultraviolet, but not in the optical part. And once you once you know what they are, you can predict how strong they should be for a given abundance. So you can you can 
just from the strength of these lines in the barcode, you can work out how much of a given element there should be. And you can compare that to what you'd see in the sum. Well, we got a number that was about 10,000 times more than in the sum. So here's zirconia, 10,000 times too, too much of it. And other elements turned up as well, like germanium and yttrium. And, um, again, 3,000 to 10,000 times too much. And uh, well, because these are all elements that are much heavier than iron, um, we just call these heavy metals. And um, I've called these the heavy metal stars because, <laughs> well, the heavy metal subdwarfs actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's even more rock and roll. Yeah, you know? absolutely. That's um, fantastic. <laughs> um, you were mentioning the, the sun there, and I think we did touch upon it um, just earlier in the conversation, but just so that we really understand there. So um, everyone is familiar with the sun. So if you were to do like a side-by-side -side comparison of the sun and the heavy metal star, like what would the stats be? You were saying earlier 90% hydrogen. Hydrogen, thank you, uh, for the sun. And then like almost none for the heavy metal. So what, what are the stats there? Well, yeah, uh, let's start, as you said, you side by side, what would happen if we put, put LS4 where the sun is and how would it look? And sort of size-wise, um, LS4 is, is one-fifth the diameter of the sun. So it would look quite a lot smaller, all right? There's a butt, and you knew there was a butt coming. Yes. <laughs> it's five times hotter than the sun. So five times hotter, did you say? It's yeah. it's it's smaller, but it's it, a lot hotter. Yeah, so so and, and we're looking, we're talking about the surface of the star. The, right. The okay. surface of the sun is about six thousand degrees Kelvin. All right. So that's that's a lot hotter than molten lava coming from a volcano. It's you know, it's really you, you, you burn your finger. Um, but LS4 is, 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 a, is, is something like 32,000, I forget the exact number, but it's, it's, it's 32,000 Kelvin. That's, that's really, really hot. Now, our sun is sort of yellowish color. If you, I, you, you mustn't look at it, but, <laughs> um, but it's a yellowish color. And, a hot star is really blue. In fact, most, I mean, the sun, the sun emits most of its light in the visible part of the spectrum. That's why our eyes are the way they are. That's where most of, most light is because, um, but, but a really hot star, you, you, it would, it, first of all, to our eyes, it would look blue. It would look really bright and it would be, it would, it would have most of its light coming in, in the ultraviolet and it would fry us. And the total light, the total amount of energy and heat coming from it um, would be some 25 times as much as the sun. So you, uh, we would be, we, we'd be burnt by the ultraviolet, we'd be fried by the amount of heat, the earth would be, um, 
would, would be a very unpleasant place to be. We would be toasty. <laughs> yeah. So just that's mind boggling. I'm, I'm already, my brain is finding this hard to pro that's, that's those, that's insane. Yeah. And, the, but that's, that's, that's typical for, for what we call hot sub dwarfs. And, um, then when we look at the, the actual compare, the actual mixture of, of, of matter on the surface of the, of the sun uh, with, our, with our hot heavy metal subdwarf, um, we find that, that, that hydrogen, and in this case, um, in the sun it's 90% hydrogen on LS4, it's something like 50%, uh, maybe, maybe 30%, forget the exact number. Um, and then most of that's been replaced by that hydrogen's been replaced by helium, so it's like seventy percent helium, uh, whereas the sun's ten percent helium. Um, and then with the sun, everything else that that last one or two percent of, of of mass, and it's much less by numbers, is a, is a mixture of carbon, nitrogen, a lot of oxygen, and then elements up to iron and then trace amounts of, 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 of heavy stuff. Um, our heavy metal stars, they've got a very peculiar surface abundance pattern. Other, some elements are depressed. Um, I mean, they are lower. <laughs> heavy metal can get us all down from time to yeah, time. Yeah, heavy metal is an emotional thing. <laughs> um, so, but but the but but these the, the, these heavy metals they all seem to be elevated, and um, there's there's yeah come back come back this 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 we we've we've learned some other things as well but um, yeah that that's that, that's that's the comparison so much smaller hotter brighter and a composition that's just incomparable with 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 that of the sun. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm glad that we are orbiting our particular very average star rather than heavy metal star. Um, like when you're reading about um, different types of stars, pulsation seems to come into it a bit. And my question is, why is the pulsation of a star particularly interesting to research? Hmm. Hmm. Well, I, I should probably explain a little bit more to to our listeners what. What pulsate? What we mean by pulsation in a mm -hmm. star? Because you know you just pulled pulled the word out there, and um, pulsation is 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 a bit like a vibration or 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 a wobble. Um, in in the at the first time it was observed, it was very much a an expansion and a contraction. Well, actually, it was it, it, it was observed as a brightening and dimming of a star. And at the time, people didn't know what that what the cause of that brightening and dimming was. And it was only with 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 subsequent observations it was shown that it was due to the to the regular expansion and contraction of certain types of star. Now, not all stars do this. Very 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 few, in fact, do it in a, in a big big way. Um, but Stars like Betelgeuse and Delta Cephei are, are pulsating variable stars, um, and the well, we, we can we can come to to why why they pulsate later on, perhaps. But um, 
the way the story develops is that as we as our telescopes have become more sensitive and as we've looked at more types of star we discovered that that more and more types of star um hot stars cool stars bright stars dim stars mass you know, it, it, there are lots and lots of different types of stars um many many of them uh, pulsate and the the interesting thing is that the the period of the pulsation relates to the to the size and the mass of the star it actually relates to to the mean density um so and and, and the reason for that is that it's um it's to do with the passage of a sound wave through a star so basically okay pulsation is related to um to 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 a wobble associated with um, a sound wave. Not all pulsations are due to sound waves, but the, the, the first, first types of pulsation are to do with sound waves. And that, that physics tells you, um, gives, you a, gives you a tool, an absolutely fantastic tool for exploring the properties of the inside of a star. Now I've got, I've, I've got a little demonstration of that for you. Oh, I'm excited. <laughs> so I want you to imagine that, um, actually what I've got here, and you can't, you can't all, all see this, I've got three identical tins. One coffee tin, another coffee tin, and a third coffee tin. Can confirm, listeners. I can see the tins. Right there. And yeah. In one coffee tin, there is some coffee. That's, okay. that's original. <laughs> okay, standard, all right. Um, in another tin, there are some rubber washers. And okay. in another tin, there are some glass brie. Some glass brie. It's easy for you to say. Beads. Okay, so coffee, rubber stoppers, and glass beads. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to shake them and we're going to call them one, two, and three, and you're going to have to work out which one is which. And I don't know which one is which at the moment, so I'm going to do it with number one, okay? Okay. 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 Do you want to make any guesses or she you want to hear the next one? I think that's glass beads. Okay. So let's go for number two. Oh no. Oh, see, now I think that's glass beads. I think that's <laughs> glass think? beads, and the other one was the rubber. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Shall we go for number three? Yeah. Yes. Ah, that's the coffee. That's coffee. Yeah. That's coffee. Right. <laughs> I'll put that one back in the cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> number two. Uh, yep, they're the glass brie. Glass brie. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Now, the question I have is, why did you? What was it that told you which was which? The glass, the glass beads one. Um, to me, the it was like higher pitched. Mm -hmm. 
yeah it was like it was almost if you could tell that it was glass like something very solid hitting a metal surface it was sharp it was high pitched yeah so so it's the sounds um the sounds tell us about what things are made of um and we actually use that information all the time in our you know in our daily life you know i know that this when i hit my glass that's a glass and if i hit hit the stool on on which it was standing i don't know if you could hear that that's a yeah. completely different sound yeah. now and 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 all, what we're doing is we're looking at the natural frequencies of which stuff is made and and stars are no different to to everything else they have natural frequencies at which they oscillate um and and that those natural frequencies depending on on how dense they are so if you have a really small dense um star it will oscillate at a very high frequency all right yes. so it'll make a high pitch sound and if you have a big big low density star it'll it'll oscillate at a really low really frequency <laughs> so 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 our so our so our white dwarfs have pulsation frequencies of, of minutes and Betelgeuse has pulsation or pulsation periods of, of hour, of, of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and that's just related to, um, to what's going on, what the star's structure is, what it's made of and, and so on. And, and it, it becomes even more interesting when we start looking at stars which have more than one pulsation period. So Ooh. when when I when I when I when I just ping my glass, you, you you're actually hearing a whole spectrum of sound, not just one tone, and that's due to all sorts of different normal modes of of sound waves traveling through the glass, and those sound waves will will. Um, Will, will propagate in different parts of the glass. And the same happens with, um, with, with, with stars. The, the oscillation modes probe different parts of the star. And so we, we have this tool which we call astero-seismology. Um, and by, by making a, a model, a seismic model of a star, and then comparing that model with the, the, the sounds we we, we, we don't actually hear the sounds, we see the sounds in, in the light that comes, in the pattern of light that comes from the star. And um, so astroseismology is useful for, for measuring the density structure of the star. It, you can use it for measuring the internal rotation of the star. You can use it for measuring um, <laughs> composition differences, uh, layers of different material inside the star. So sometimes we call astroseismology the swiss army knife of, <laughs> of, of stellar physics because um, you can do so many many different things with it so um so oh, that's cool um yeah it's it's it's, it's fantastic and, uh, i think i don't know about you courtney but i think i find a, a new area of physics that i an astrophysics that i really like which is astroseismology i could really get on board that that a little experiment there simon was that was it, I was not expecting a sound to come into it at all. That has blown my mind. That is so so great. Um, and I know we're um, 
we're running out of time here. So we, I could sit and talk to you for so much longer, Simon. Yep. This is just so fascinating. I'm learning so much. Um, I wonder if you could very quickly um, tell us um, about, you know, you've discovered these stars what, about 10 or so years ago. Yeah. And there was an article that you can find um, a link to on um, and under our research page on our armad.space website. And it's an article that you produced, I think it was in 2015, that Courtney and I did try and read. Um, very, very interesting. Uh, but have we, um, have we learned more about the atmospheres of heavy metal stars since 2015? Or is this still something that is very much ongoing? We're still trying to figure a lot of things out. Um... <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, we're running out of time. Um, I know. The, things have actually moved on um, quite a pace since 2015. Um, we've discovered several more um, of these of these heavy metal stars. Briefly, we've we've learned that they can be divided into two groups at the moment. We've got some that have loads of um, of zirconium and some that have loads of lead. So we've got the lead group and the zirconium group. Um, the zirconium group, there's only three in, and they all pulsate. The lead ones don't pulsate in quite the same way. If they if they do pulsate, they're definitely very different to the to the zirconium ones. Um, we discovered a new lead-rich star with um, Southern African Large Telescope um, as part of a, an RMR campaign. And, um, and, and that's turned out to be very interesting. We, we were asked, do you know if it's a binary or not? And I said, or a double star or not? And I said, I decided, I don't know, but we went back to the telescope and got a series of observations. And lo and behold, it turns out it is a double star. And we can see the spectrum of the companion as well as the spectrum of the zirconium star which is fabulous. And <laughs> one reason it's absolutely fabulous is that the, the companion star is an unevolved normal star, except it's very old and it's got very little metals altogether. It's, you know, it's, 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 so it's, it's billions and billions and billions of years old. And, um, and it's 10 times, got 10 times less metals than the sun has. So this star's lead abundance is a million times what it should be. Whoa. <laughs> and, and, a million and, and, you know, times. You know, so, so these are the sorts of things we're, we're discovering. And, um, but we haven't yet gotten an answer to the question, why? And that's, that's mm -hmm. the, the big, big, big question that um, I and um, a, a new colleague has just come to work, work in Amar, Laura Scott. Um, uh, is it, we're, we're going to be looking at that in detail over over the next few years. So hopefully we'll be able to answer the question why next time. Some really amazing, exciting stuff that you're working on. So I think one of my takeaways here, you know, with the astro seismology and heavy metal stars is you're trying to create the cosmos's first rock and roll band. <laughs> I'm all for it. I will buy that album whenever it comes out. I'm I'm all for it. I love it. Um, but Simon, what can what can Courtney and I say? But thank you so much. That was 
fabulous. That was really, really brilliant. It's been a pleasure. And we would love to have you on again sometime because I know you just said there, there's been so many leaps and bounds that have happened since 2015. I think, Courtney, would you be right in saying we need to do another episode? I would say so, especially since um, props are now a thing that happens with the podcast <laughs> the bar here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so just say, yeah, we, we need more props. Uh, signs works so well. Um, so, Courtney, would you like to remind our listeners just how they can stay in contact with us? Yes, if they've um, any questions or any future topics or even any questions about what Simon has um, discussed with us today, you can get in contact with us via our email. So it's podcast at armagh.ac.uk. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Planet and Instagram at Planet. And we'll try to get back to you as soon as possible. We love hearing from you. Also, if you go to anchor.fm slash intergalactic crack, you can send voice messages to us there as well. Now, Simon, we like to end the podcast with the most important question ever asked. So I'm wondering, would you like to try and answer this question in a few words? You up for it? I'm up for it. What is it? (laughs) Simon, do you need some space? Yes, right now I need some space. (laughs) (laughs) Simon, thanks so much. Observatory and Planetarium is a registered charity and part of the Northern Ireland Government Department for Communities. To find out more about AOP, follow us on Facebook, Twitter at Armagh Planet, Instagram at Armagh Planet, YouTube at Armagh Observatory and Planetarium, or check out our website where we host our blog, Astronauts, www.arma.space.